Hello, wrestling fans and wrestling geeks. This is Jordan, and I am joined here with my great buddy, Ed, from Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And we are talking about SummerSlam 2001. This is the new show brought to you by Movie Guys Podcast and Beer Network called Call It in the Ring. Ed, you and I released an episode last week. It was our pilot episode. It was a bullshit episode. But tonight marks our official first episode. I'm so excited to talk about SummerSlam 01. Are you? Yeah, I mean, like like you said, we at least we released our our first official episode. We were sort of testing a few things out, and it exploded. It took off, so we decided to sort of expedite uh, doing more episodes for for all uh, the movie guys first out there. So, uh, you know, everybody, welcome to Call It in the Ring. You know, we're glad to uh, you know we're glad to do this show. We're pretty excited about it, and uh, you know, and Jordan, I had a lot of fun sort of reminiscing and catching up on watching all the events leading rewatching all the events leading up to SummerSlam uh, 2001, getting to rewatch things, raw SmackDown, getting to watch the rock come back. You know, it was, I was pretty, I was, I, I, I really, I relived my childhood or, or at least part of it uh, from, from, from doing some of the research for this. Oh, it was fun. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, SummerSlam 01 was in August and I was 14 years old. And it was my freshman year of uh, of high school. And just think, one month later, the towers will fall. Yeah, wrestling, I know. I was thinking that same thing. Wrestling was at a different time before those towers fell. Yeah, like as I was watching it, like it, it sort of hit me like midway through the the episode that like or the pay per view that this is August of two thousand and one, and it's like this was it was just got me thinking of a lot of things, including like that was right before the world changed. Yes. Like no, nobody knew, nobody thought about it. And I was thinking how many of those people got into the building without going through metal detectors, you know, how, like how the world was. And I was, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, you and I are about the same age. I, rem- I mean, I remember where, where I was for September 11th, but like, I was just thinking that like, that was right before the world flipped on its head. Exactly. And, how free, how free everything was and, you know, the storylines and the things they were doing and the things they were saying that, you know, they couldn't get away with today. I miss some of that, sure. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, I was flipping on my head because this was at the time, this was the first until the network came out recently, but this was the first and only pay-per-view that I was able to watch. This was the height of my wrestling fandom. I mean, I was I was a 14-year-old kid getting ready to go to high school for, you know, freshman in high school, SummerSlam, August of 2001. This was it. This was the highlight for me and also the death because after this pay-per-view, I did not watch wrestling from 2001 until 2016. Wow. Which, so why did you walk away from the from the why do you walk away from the game, man? I don't know. Uh, really, I would, I would, I would say the wrong answer would be uh, I wanted to play sports and have sex with girls, <clears throat> and girls didn't like wrestling, or the girls that I liked didn't like wrestling, so I kind of just took a back burner on it. I didn't like Stone Cold at the time, you know. I didn't like you know because I started to watch wrestling in 1997 when I was 10. So from 10 years old to 14, wrestling was, I mean, was as big as it is to me now, you know. 
but now as a now as a 31 year old man, buddy, I just like who gives a fuck? I like wrestling. I don't care. I tell her people at work, oh, SummerSlam's next week. I can't wait. Whatever. Fuck you guys. Wrestling's <laughs> badass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just yeah. But tonight we're talking about SummerSlam 2001. So a little brief history, not about the pay per view, but about what we are going to do for you for for you fans of the show. So. This is not going to be a weekly show. This is going to be once or twice a month show, so maybe a bi-weekly. And one week we're going to talk about a pay-per-view. One week we're going to talk about a wrestler. And another week we're going to talk about factions or debates or whatever. But how we're going to redo our pay-per-views is we're going to talk about all the Raws and SmackDown, the storylines leading up to those matches. And then when we get to the actual match card, talk about the matches, the storyline of the matches, and at the end of every match, we're going to give our five-star rating because that's what they give in wrestling right now. Of course, zero stars is a shit match, and five-star is a five-star match. So we'll give our opinions about those matches. But let's talk about SummerSlam 2001. This will bring you back. Uh, every pay-per-view has a theme song for WWE, and the theme song for this was Drowning Pool, Let the Bodies at the Floor. That was the theme song. And uh, the sponsor was Chef Boy O.D. And uh, SummerSlam came out in August 19th of 2001 with attendance of 15,000 in the uh, San Jose City, San Jose, California Venue Compact Center Arena. That was a mouthful. <laughs> well, you should be used to that by now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, one thing that I will say before we talk about Raw and SmackDown is, of course, the logo of SummerSlam. I really, really liked the old school style. I don't like the new one with the star now. But back in the day, they had a double S logo, you know, with the uh, with the big S being this green and the, and the second S being blue. The ropes were black. You know, the alliance entered on the left side of the stage. The WWF guys entered on the right side of the stage. It was pretty fucking fun. Yeah, it was. It was, really it was very. It was very two thousand and one. You know, like, uh, you know, I remember I I remember the logo. I thought it was cool. I mean, just seeing it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I don't know that I like or dislike it over the other over modern or or, or past ones. But, you know, it was it was something that they I mean, it was different. They were WWE was in a transition phase at that time, you know, and, uh, you know, just sort of jumping right into it, you know, including their transition was was the fact that they had absorbed the two largest competitors to them at the time, you know, uh, you know, a little backstory in the storylines, but also sort of, sort of fact, WCW uh, was up for sale. Vince McMahon bought it. And, you know, the surprise to the, to the world, the wrestling world was they let, they aired uh, raw and SmackDown live sort of simultaneously. They interacted. Raw with and, hold on. Raw and nitro. That's what, what did I say? SmackDown. Oh, my bad. So they, yeah, they, and I remember, I remember back then, you know, I was watching, I was watching, I just so happened to be watching Nitro at the time, not knowing that it was up for sale. Cause I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know the backstory. Plus like the internet wasn't a thing yet. So now everybody knows what's going on. So like back then as a kid, I didn't know really what was going on. I was just so happened to be watching Nitro when all the sudden man comes out. And I'm like, what? Okay, what the fuck just happened? Oh my god, what in the world's going? Like, what is my whole entire world just like turned upside down? And I flipped to Raw, and there's 
there's Vince McMahon in a stage talking to Shane McMahon through the Titantron about how Shane McMahon just bought WCW out from under his dad. You know, and from and so that started the whole what became the invasion storyline. Um, obviously, we got through invasion, where it's important to to recognize that Stone Cold Steve Austin turned heel as the w, as the WWF champion. He he turned to join the alliance uh, because, as a former member of WCW and ECW, you know he he felt like he was being improperly utilized. He wasn't getting the challenges. At least that was that was the character wasn't getting the challenges he, he deserved and wanted to be a part of, a, of something that, that was giving him challenges. So they had the WC and you know, this, in, in, in this, in this pay-per-view, they had a, a WWE title match with uh, Kurt Angle versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, a WCW championship match with the rock versus Booker T uh, WWF tag team ch- titles versus WCW tag team titles, cruiserweight versus light heavyweight championship match. Uh, you know, then you had the WWF titles, the Intercontinental title, and the hardcore title match. Uh, but again, leading up to this, you know, well, the Raws and the SmackDowns, um, you know, just talking about like, for example, the, the, the light heavyweight versus the cruiserweight thing. You know, you, Tajiri came out as uh, it, was, it was Tajiri. He, he him and uh, William Regal came out or he was who came in to fight William Regal it was like X-Pac or something. Right. X-Pac come out. He's, he wanted to fight William Regal, and, and, and Spike Dudley said, "I'll fight him for you." And then, you know, Tajiri comes out, and he gets the he gets the uh, the cruiserweight championship, right? So, um, you know, it, it was just leading up to it. There was a big in like in, the big invasion storyline was this was the culmination of it. Yeah, I mean, and and wh- how can I how can I segue to this? I found it was interesting when they did the titles because, I, I mean, God, I'm sorry. This is terrible, but the best way I want to say it is that I never liked the light heavyweight title. I thought that was a really stupid title. And I never really dug the cruiserweight title either. Uh, but we'll get into that match later. Well, but Yeah, and they, they did away with that, with that segment for a long time, mm-hmm. only bringing it back recently with the 205 Live stuff. Which is not good either. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's taken off literally in every single other type of wrestling, every single other brand except WWE. They, you know, they the cruiserweight division has always been you know, a big part of other of other companies. You know, I remember TNA. They had the X division that were you know where the they put an extra rope. Up, you know, or, excuse me, it was an extra rope, like 10 feet above the ring. They had an X division fight. So that was like, that was stuff was cool. Yeah. Which has done the right thing with it in WWE. I agree with that. Uh, the alliance angle was interesting, Ed. You're right. I, I mean, um, I was watching Raw that night when it happened. I, I, they missed an opportunity here. And we will talk about an alliance episode when the McMahons bought WCW and ECW. We will do that episode in, in the future, but what a kick in the nuts. What a great start to a bad story, though. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm Vince McMahon. I just bought my competition. The Monday Night Wars are over with. I bought WCW. And then Shane comes out of nowhere and says, well, it's Sex McMahon on the contract, but it doesn't say Vince. Yeah, says, yeah. yeah. I'm like, wow, what a great idea. Um, mm-hmm. And then reading the dirt sheets about it, 
was the original plan, which was so fucking cool, was they were going to cancel Raw, and they were just going to keep SmackDown. They were going to replace Raw with Monday Nitro, and they were going to have WCW. That's what they were going to do. It was going to be its own thing, but owned by WWE. And the only time that the two brands got together was at SummerSlam, was at uh, WrestleMania. And they were going to change the Royal Rumble to where the Royal Rumble would also feature WCW and WWE guys. And the main event would be the WWF champion against the WCW champion at WrestleMania. That would have been an interesting storyline. I don't know about that, man. Like, I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm believing you because you're saying it. I've not done any, I've not read that. I, I don't think Vince McMahon would have ever conceded. You know, I don't think he would have, he would have had Monday Nitro. I think maybe, maybe it could have potentially been the opposite. Like he might've done a Thursday night thunder, but I don't oh, know that he would have yeah. ever given up the Monday night concept. Well, that's what really. he wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, that's what he wanted to do, but what stopped him was the wrestlers that we got. Because when WCW got bought, they wanted to get Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, Sting, Scott Hall, Goldberg. And all we really got that were big names at the time that came over, when I would argue was only two of them, would have been Booker T and DDP. And we'll talk about both of those guys tonight. Yeah, well, you got to remember, they, the, all those other guys had guaranteed contracts. Of course. So why the fuck wouldn't they sit on their asses for a year and a half? Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is why they should all Plus, they all hated Vince anyway. True. Oh, the, reason, the reason all those big names, all those guys left was because they hated Vince. And look at, like, Lex Luger at the time. You know what I mean? Like, Lex Luger was a man in limbo because he fucking – he left. He was the first one to leave Vince. Vince hated Lex Luger. Vince was never going to invite Lex Luger back. That's true, but he did invite Bret Hart back. Um, well, that's different. Yeah. Well, let's talk about let's let's talk about SummerSlam 2001. Let's so, talk about SummerSlam 2001. So uh, the announcers for SummerSlam 2001 was good old Jr. representing WWF and Paul Heyman representing the Alliance. Now, I will argue, and I'm sure you will agree with me, that the greatest announcement team ever was good old Jr. and Jerry the King Lawler. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But Paul Heyman, I thought, was a pretty good stand-in. I thought he did a good job in this paper. Paul, Paul Heyman is the best, best voice of wrestling in the history of the industry. I don't just mean, like, the best announcer because he's fantastic. I don't just mean the best manager because he's fantastic. I don't just mean the best promoter because he's fantastic. He's literally all three of those things. He's the best in the history of professional wrestling. Prove me wrong. I mean, you can't. It's just impossible. I kind of can't. Vince McMahon, I mean. Well, no, Vince McMahon had more money. Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon's dad was, a, was, a, was very rich and had the largest wrestling promotion in the country given to him for a dollar. Remember that. First of all, he didn't have the greatest. First of all, he didn't have the biggest wrestling thing in the country. He had the biggest wrestling promotion in the area because of the territories. Remember that's and it was the it's the New York territory. It was the largest, the, most the important, biggest draw, bro. Like it's it, he 
Don't get me wrong. Vince McMahon has done great things. Vince McMahon's been a brilliant businessman, but Vince McMahon's biggest problem has always been he fucking sucks at wrestling. A lot of things, like you know, like I, I, I he sucks totally his character development. He I sucks totally his character disagree. development. You totally disagree. He uh, hey. Vince, Vince McMahon created uh, the Undertaker, created Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, Kane. Well, no, 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 no. The era created those guys. No, no, they, no. All no. these guys were able to create their own. They, I mean, they didn't have creative control the way they did in WCW. They, like, but, if but, you look, but, if you, I mean, I was always a WWE guy. We've had that discussion. We've had that argument beforehand. But like WWE, the, the thing about the thing about the, the WWE is that it's always been a better business than any other wrestling promotion in the other wrestling territory. Vince McMahon, when he was when he was out in, as the one of the announcers selling his company, he, he's a great marketer, a great salesman. He sold his he sold what was happening very well. But the knowledge that Paul Heyman has about professional wrestling and the history of professional wrestling, and the ability to acknowledge the history of certain things while doing an episode while while, while while announcing a live episode of, of of raw or or smackdown or whatever or a pay-per-view while being an announcer and being a better heel than anybody could have ever dreamed of it, it's just he was incredible now jr is like the the, the the most famous the most famous voice in all of professional wrestling history in terms of announcers you know, when I think of like the voices of professional wrestling, I think of Jr. I think of Gorilla Monsoon and 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 Mean Gene Okerlund. Those are the three names that I think of. But I think, I mean, and hands down, I think Paul Heyman, who took a nothing organization, turned it, you know, Eastern Championship, East Coast Championship Wrestling, or Eastern Championship, whatever it was, Eastern Championship uh, Wrestling, yeah, and turned it into the third largest promotion in the world in the country out of his, out of his basement. Well, yeah, forget about new Japan pro wrestling, whatever. Uh, but he did it all out of his basement and with his own money, you know, there were times where the wrestlers and, and, and promotion promoting guys couldn't get paid because they didn't have the money. They finally got theirs. They finally all got theirs at, because of this, the loyal guys, the guys like Tommy dreamer, the you know like the quintessential ECW guy Tommy Dreamer, who never got his break in WWE, right? Never in my I mean he he had other runs in, in certain ways. Al Snow, who who was created by ECW, then took that then took that that thing that became the most famous thing that head thing took that to WWE. Uh, guys who are you're, you're we're about to talk about Lance Storm. Okay, Lance Storm was a guy in a character that Paul Heyman created. Paul Heyman created Stone Cold Steve Austin. Paul Heyman created Rob Van Dam. Paul Heyman created Rhino and Chris Jericho. Right? I, so I don't totally disagree with all that. Oh, you're in you're absolutely wrong. But anyway. Well, before we get into okay, so without going on forever though, but there what but there isn't something interesting about the history of SmackDown before we get into the first match of the night of SummerSlam. The last SmackDown uh before SummerSlam, I don't know if you noticed, but the stage changed. 
for uh, first of all, uh, the apron is now gray instead of black around the ring. They have a new logo. And also, this is where the fist of the stage is present. Mm-hmm. And they said, welcome to SmackDown. We are live. SmackDown was taped. So, oh, yeah. SmackDown was taped other than certain times. So, so the SmackDown, which was a Thursday before SummerSlam, which was that Sunday, was a new show, new logos, new stage, and it was live. That was cool to see because I could because I was trying to remember when that change happened, and it was before SummerSlam. I didn't remember that. I I, I mean I caught it as we were as I was watching it, but I didn't even think about it. You could that not was, really. That was the historic thing that I had always remembered it being. I never. I just never thought about. I never. I never, I noticed it, but I didn't even think about it. No, yeah, but I mean, like, that was huge because I rewound that SmackDown episode at least two, three times and watched it because I was so surprised with, oh, my God, this is, this is, this is live. This is totally different. The stage is different, everything leading up to it. But, all right, so let's get into the match card here. Let's get into the first match of the night. We had Lance Storm versus Edge for the Intercontinental title. Lance Storm was the champion. Let's be serious for a minute. <laughs> as he says edge wins the title i i actually give this one a two a two and a half star rating not a very good match not a good way to kick off SummerSlam. well i i, I don't know that i agree with the two two and a half stars I, I i think um this realistically looking back now at the two guys that we know as edge and lance storm i think this one should have been the best match on the card because Edge, who we, you know, who was, this was just sort of the kickoff of his, of his singles debut, or his singles matches. And Lance Storm, again, one of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time. I'm going to, I'm going to refer you at some point, you know, I know we're doing it, I'm doing it right now, but I want to refer you to, to basically anything Lance Storm and, and Dean Malenko on on ecw because the two of those guys were fantastic technical wrestlers um but i think the problem was is that edge and lance storm they just didn't mesh well together you know I, it was more i guess it was more desire than, than than actuality um i didn't like the way the match ended i think edge coming out or excuse me christian coming out you know and and sort of almost accidentally costing edge the match that's that was dumb. It's it's typical 2000s and, and 90s WWE. Well, what's that kicking off, though? It's because if you go back and watch into that match, though, I mean, one could argue that Christian deliberately speared Edge. And then after the match, when Edge and the little storyline was talking to his grandma on the phone, and or Christian was, and she wanted to talk to Edge, that is, that is the kickoff of the Edge versus Christian rivalry. That will that will take place later on, mm-hmm. but uh, no, I don't like the way the match ended either. I, I mean, when I think of WWE, I think of three things. When somebody says, "Oh, you're a fan of WWE," I think of WrestleMania, I think of Royal Rumble, and I think of SummerSlam because SummerSlam they've always advertised it as being the party of the summer and also the second biggest show after WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. You got to start off with a bang. 
like this year, this past WrestleMania, just a few months ago, the kickoff match was Intercontinental title match against The Miz, Seth Rollins, and Finn Balor. Those three had a good match. Mm-hmm. Not, why the fuck would you kick off SummerSlam with these two? With Edge, Edge was the best when he was the rated R superstar Edge. This guy was still brood, still edging Christian. You know, he just got off of the huge TLC match at, at, at WrestleMania that April. Looked fucking great in that match. Uh, no, but this, this this match was just not nothing for me. It was it was 2.5. I mean, Ed, what would you give this? Well, Lance Storm, again, much like, I, you know, you got to watch the battle between him and Dean Malenko and especially him and Jerry Lynn, him and Jerry Lynn and ECW, you know, they, they just would steal the show every time they were on it. Lance storm is much more technical than edge ever could dream of being, right? Like edge is flashy, right? Like that's just how he is. So the flash versus the technical, the, the technicality of the, of the superstar of Liz Lance storm, it just didn't mesh well. You know, again, I think that they probably thought what I thought, is this should be a fantastic match. This should be one of the best matches in the entire on the entire card, but it can't steal the show. Well, they were right in the fact that it didn't steal the show, but it just it just didn't love, live up to what I what I would have hoped it to be. So I mean I can't I mean I'm not I'm not saying I would rank it I mean I would go more like three star, but I'm not gonna argue over half a star. Well, that's the thing, too, is I think that Vince McMahon, which, you know, you've said before, has some great moments, also has some shitty moments. Lance Storm's character at that point in time in SummerSlam in 2001 was serious, crew-cut kind of guy. You know, if I could be serious for a minute, you know, kind of guy. And Edge is party, let's have fun. And I, and I, and I would argue that Vince McMahon was like, let's put the serious guy against the partier. That's what I predict what happened back and then it's not a very good way to open up SummerSlam. just just not not a great storyline we watched the raws and we watched the smackdowns leading up to this and there was barely no storyline at all between these two so i was not invested at all but- yeah it was it was edge ran out while him and christian were having a match and he pulled his pants down to show his power ranger underwear like that, that was the rivalry that was it yeah. Another match that I did not like was the second match where we got the Dudley Boys and Test versus the APA and Spike Dudley. Now, the Dudley Boys actually win this match, and I I'd give this match a two-star rating. This is this is just a terrible match. Yeah, I mean, I think this was another thing where the WWF was trying to steal some of the ECW muster, right? Like, Anything involving the Dudleys and Spike in ECW was incredible. Like one of my greatest things that I ever remember seeing was when Spike Dudley and and New Jack fucking they jumped off the I mean literally jumped off the second story of the arena on the chair on the on the tables together against the Dudleys. To, yeah, yeah, against yeah. Like that was one of the quintessential ECW thing. So the WWF in their infinite wisdom, again, this helps sort of back up my argument is that they're not able to recapture what was ECW. And that's what they're trying to do because Spike Dudley 
was like the cousin to the Dudley boys, right? Like he was one of the little brothers or little cousins or something. I don't remember what the story was. But in real life, the dude was a third grade teacher who his kids uh, dared him to join professional wrestling because he loved it, right? He would always talk about it. So his kids dared him to do it. He did it. And, you know, he was just a little dude, like he's a dude no larger than me, but he had to be on a heart. Like that was his character. And so the APA was protecting him against the Dudleys and the APA was a great stable that, that, you know, sort of didn't do very well in the limelight for a lot of, for a lot of reasons. Uh, obviously Ron Simmons and, and, and JBL uh, in the APA later on, you know, JBL went on to have a fantastic career later on. Ron Simmons was sort of at the end of his um, and Tess just randomly thrown in there, which for no reason whatsoever, well, yeah, actually, I, I wanted to ask you about Tess because I know I know the guy who played the character Tess is now unfortunately passed away. Mm-hmm. But what happened to Tess? And I'm sure we'll talk about this in grave detail in one of our segments in future episodes. But in 1999-2000, Tess was Vince McMahon's boy. Uh, Test was the storyline was Test was dating Stephanie McMahon, right? And, and they and, had a wedding and, ceremony. Yeah, um, and Triple H got her drunk and married her in Vegas. Married her in Vegas. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, Test was Vince's boy at that point in time, and I just find it interesting that this guy, two years prior, or even a year prior, year and a half was dating the boss's daughter, not in real life, of course, had a wedding. He was everything Vince McMahon wants a wrestler to be, a big, tall, good-looking guy. And now he has jump-shipped, and he's now part of the alliance, and he's with the Dudley boys against the APA, which just doesn't just doesn't mesh well. just doesn't mesh. There was really – you had one table, and that was at the end. And any time the Dudley boys are on, are on screen, you've got to see tables. You got to see the 3D. You got to see what's up. You got to see that shit. And all I got was one table. Not very, uh, not very interesting. I'm not a fan. What would you give the rating of this match? Um, I can, you know what? I, I can't disagree with you. I would say it's a two star match as well. I mean, it 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 didn't. Another thing that didn't live up to the hype. I, you're gonna find. I think we're gonna have a lot of that throughout this 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 review because. There were things that worked in other uh, other companies that once they got to WWE didn't work anymore. And this is one of those things like the Dudleys, all the Dudleys were able to find success later on in different ways. They Um, found success with Edge, Christian and Matt and Jeff Hardy with the TLC match. Right. Yeah. They were able to have some of the greatest tag matches of all time. But, you know, when their first, you know, they, they were already in the WWE at the time, right? They, they had already been in, 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 the, in the company. Yeah, they were in 2000. Yeah, and so once, the, once that started, you know, once this Alliance thing started, of course they went to the Alliance side because they were ECW guys, um, which is weird because Spike was not yet in the company, I don't think. Or maybe he was. I don't I'm, Maybe was. I might be misremembering it. But he, you know, again, this was just one of those things that just didn't work, uh, didn't work for me. Um, and it was rushed because the pay-per-views back then were, were too filled with other things. 
-hmm. and the storylines that they were trying to get to uh, were too big to fill in other things. So again, this, this one just sort of was off the, you know, was underwhelming to me. The same with, uh, with what would become the next match, uh, the champion versus champion, the cruiserweight versus the light heavyweight title. Yeah. We got to talk about that in a second real quick, but I do want to interrupt you because I want to tell you this fun little story about, about APA and, and, and me. So remember I said, I watched wrestling from 97, 98 to 2001, right? After SummerSlam, I was, I was so hyped about wrestling at that time in 2001. My mom finally broke down and said that she would buy SummerSlam as the pay-per-view for me to watch, but I had to pay her back by mowing lawns or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the last time I knew of JBL, I didn't know him as JBL. I just knew the guy as the big white guy who did the clothesline from hell in the APA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then just two years ago, when I get access to the network and I start watching shit, all of a sudden, the guy, the big guy from the APA who smoked cigars and drank beer with, well, at the time was Farouk, you know what I mean? He's now this Texas billionaire. <clears throat> and he has a short haircut. And, like, my mind was completely fucking blown. I was shocked when I saw the transformation from the APA to JBL. Completely shocked. Yeah, and that was real. Like, the dude, the dude legit knows how to invest. He was, you know, he was on, he was on CNBC for a while. That was part of his hiatus. He was going out and making money and then he wanted to come back and be a wrestler again. It was just, it was just a shock to my system. So overall, we would, so overall, we do agree that the Dudley boys test APA and Spike Dudley match is definitely a two star. Let's go about the third match that you were just talking about. X-Pac. Versus Tajiri. X-Pod is the X-Pac is the cruiserweight champion, and Tajiri is the light heavyweight champion. And of course, at the end of the match, X-Pac will get the win. Meaning that I was I was sorry, I guess I didn't pay attention, but did he also win the light heavyweight championship too? Then so it was a yeah, it was a championship versus championship. It was cruiser cruiserweight versus light heavyweight championship. Okay. Um and again, this was one of those kinds of things like X-Pac was sort of struggling to find his way after DX, right? So it was very odd for him to be given a storyline where he had Prince Albert as his manager, right? Uh-huh. And, of course, he's getting beat and Prince Albert comes out. Tajiri gives him the mist. Like, this was another thing that had no hype to it. It was just like X-Pac was pissed off at William Regal. Tajiri defended William Regal, who was commissioner of, 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 of the WWE at the time. And, it, you know, it's, this was a unification match that X-Pac wins and unified the, the Cruiserweight and Light Heavyweight titles, right? Gotcha. It just – but that being said, there was no hype. The in-ring match between the two of them was fantastic. Really? I would say, I, I'm going to yeah. give you my rating. My rating is a one star. This oh, is terrible. I, I, I disagree with you. I mean, the match itself, yes. Overall, like the match, the match was the best part of the entire, of that entire storyline, right? Like there was no, there was no storyline. It was a made up stupid one that had no, it had no footing. But the match itself between X-Pac, who was fantastic wrestler, 
I, you know, from the days he was the kid in WCW to being the one, two, three kid after beating Razor Ramon in WWF, right? Uh-huh. And surprise, you know, he became the one, two, three kid. Then he went to the, the, he went to DX and sort of got lost in the shuffle. Everybody forgets that that dude was like the champ. At, you know, and he was a champion at like 19, 20 years old. Yeah, but he also drove around though because because after. Because because after he was the one two three kid, he went over to WCW. He was a part of NWO. Then he left NWO and he came back over to WWE in 1999. It became part of DX. I mean, right? Was, yeah. Was, no. He yeah. He floater. yeah. He was a fucking floater. He was, but it's because he he also had a lot of personal problems. But he left just like everybody else left. He left to chase the money because Vince wasn't paying these guys, and Eric Bischoff and Ted Turner were. So that's why that they left. And when he came back, he, he sort of found the most fame he ever, he'd ever had in, in DX. And it just so happened to be one of those things that, like, you know, the match was a great match between the two of them, but nothing else held. Nothing, nothing stuck. You know, it was a – it was – nobody cared about the cruiserweight slash light heavyweight division at the time. And it was between Tajiri and people didn't really care about X-Pac or, under, or no X-Pac. And it was just something that got lost in the shuffle because nobody cared about the match going in. A great match happened when I think I'd call it a three, three and a half star match between just the match. And then it was, a, it was in a dying division of, 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 of WWE. So I always liked Tajiri. I, I remember Tajiri because his claim to fame was the mist. You know, he had different color mm-hmm. mist. You know, it was always fun. It's actually fun seeing it now as a grown adult because, you know, X-Pac knocks down to Jerry towards the end of the match. To Jerry uh, rolls around. Clearly, he is rolling around because he's putting the mist in his mouth. Mm-hmm. I always, always found that fun. But uh, I, I just I just didn't like the match. Uh, so far, I mean, SummerSlam 01 was just – I mean, the first match I gave it a two point five. Second match I gave it a two. This one I'm giving it a one. Just, just, just not kicking off well for me. But what well, does kick off well for me though is the fourth match, which is Chris Jericho versus Rhino. Jericho will win by submission, and I give this one a three point five. Um, no, I disagree with that. I mean, Chris Jericho is realistically one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. But this storyline, again, this is another flat storyline. It's the whole re- – every what happened was is that Chris Jericho made fun of Stephanie McMahon for getting a boob job. Mm-hmm. She owns – according to the storyline, she owns ECW, Rhino being the quintessential ECW guy, especially the, the, the one ECW guy who's actually on the card as an ECW. And J- Chris Jericho spent a lot, a lot of time in ECW. They even mentioned that, that you know – uh, Chris Jericho has never been able to, to beat Rhino. Well, you got to remember Rhino's character was much more aggressive and much more vicious in, in, in ECW than it was in WWE. ECW but, Goldberg. To a certain degree, yeah. I mean, it's, you're saying that because of the spear, but Not Rhino spear, would scare no, people through. because of the because of the animalistic attitude, the short matches, the the brute force. Yeah, I can see. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and again, another character that has outlived a lot of other things that was created by Paul Heyman, just putting putting that out there. Because Rhino's Rhino is still Rhino today. Yeah, he's, he's just fat, old. Though. He's just old and fat. <laughs> yeah. 
but the, the, he's still something that's outlived a lot of things that Vince McMahon's created, that Paul Heyman created on a shoestring budget and has continued to, to, to live. Anyway, um, the, ma- the storyline itself is just dumb. I mean, it, it's it, Rhino defends Stephanie McMahon. And Chris Jericho continues to make fun of him. So she escorts him out to the ringside. You know, escorts Rhino out to the ringside. Of course, she distracts the ref a few times like she normally does. You know, it's it's one of those things. It's just a stereotypical match that, again, in ECW was fantastic, but in the WWE just didn't work that well. Now, so now this um, I'm going to disagree with you on that because going back and watching these these old Raws and SmackDowns, not only did I have a flash down memory lane of when SmackDown went live, but I had a flash memory of when the Planet of the Apes Tim Burton movie came out. If you want to talk about Movie Guys podcast for a second, because the last Raw or SmackDown, I believe it was the last Raw before SummerSlam, the Planet of the Apes movie was released that month, and Jericho brings out the actors in the movie. If you if you saw that if you saw mm-hmm. that show, and you know made fun of Stephanie, called her a dirty ape and all this stuff, and the apes were going to kiss her, and then she got a pie in the face. I loved the storyline because this is the fourth card in the match, and now we got a storyline. I got something I'm invested in. I got something that I care about because Jericho doesn't like Stephanie because she got a boob job, which I'm not complaining because those titties are nice. However, though, she has Rhino defending her, and I just think it's great. I mean, it ends with Jericho playing a beautiful kiss on Stephanie. She hates it, you know, and then Jericho finally gets the walls of Jericho. But then Rhino also puts the walls of Jericho on him as well. It was, it was, it was, it was just a fun match to see what Stephanie would do. That's what I liked it because I liked Chris Jericho just hating her for no reason. It was fun. And that's yeah. what I was lacking so far. Yeah, I mean, up to this point, yes. It was and, fun. Uh, it, and up to this point, I mean, I think, and again, I think still up to this point, the Xbox to Jiri match, I'm just talking the match, not the storyline, was the best thus far. I would actually go, I would actually say this is probably a two and a half, two star match for me. Um, it could have been much better. It should have been much better. It was just, again, it was another thing that was rushed because the final two matches were going to take forever so they had to had to take these matches home pretty quick no i totally agree with it they had to take the matches home but i at least had a storyline fourth match on the card i had a storyline i watched the episodes previous to it it was nice to see a storyline but the fifth match on the card is very interesting it was rob van dam versus jeff hardy for the hardcore title Jeff Hardy was the champion at the time. And it was the first ever hardcore ladder match. Of course, RVD gets the win. And I give this match a four-star rating. This was damn good. Yeah, it was a good match. Um, anytime you put Rob Van Dam in something and you get or you give Jeff Hardy a ladder, magic is about to, to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the best match of either of their careers. But I would argue to say that it might even be the best match on the card in total. It was, uh, I don't know about best right now, but it was exciting as shit. Yeah. Um, you know, Jeff Hardy's great at selling the fall, right? Like, he's the absolute best at falling awkwardly, but not dying. <laughs> you know, like, Jeff Hardy would fall flat on his head 
and you're like, you know, onto concrete. You're like, oh my God, he's definitely dead. And he pops right up when he needs to, to, to do his thing. Um, RVD won the match. Uh, you know, he kicked Jeff Hardy off the, uh, off the, uh, off the ladder. There was a, a botched move in it. You know, I want to point that out where, uh, Jeff Hardy was swinging from the, uh, where the, uh, the, the, whatever you call it, the harness and RVD tried to do one of his famous sort of swinging leg kicks and missed and whiffed. Uh, that was, that was kind of funny to watch, but Again, this was probably one of the best matches on the card, if not the best match. And I, you know, I, I would say that I think uh, I think it turned out for the best because uh, you know RVD. That was that's who he was. He was Mister ECW, Mister Pay Per View, Mister Monday Night. And I think uh, you know Jeff Hardy's thing about the ladders. They just put him in ladder matches on every single pay per view, so it does. Not yet, but it does kind of get boring after a while. Um, you know what I mean? But, you know, again, Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy, they put on a, they put on a great show together. Uh, it's unfortunate that they never really had much of a rivalry. I would have liked to see more between them. But at the same time, uh, this, match, this match did it for me. I, I mean, I would say, I don't know if I'd go so high as to say a four, but definitely a three and a half at worst. Okay. Well, I, I, I do not agree with you on that one. I mean, like, definitely a four for me. I, I mean, th- this match was great. I was waiting at the edge of my seat. You know, when are they going to get the ladder? Who's going to get the ladder? Who, what's going to happen? It, it was just, it's fun. It was a sure. fun match, and it got me re-energized. I had a great match with Chris Jericho and Rhino. The fifth match is RVD with uh, Jeff Hardy for the hardcore title. That was great, but then I downward. Then I went down the spiral again, and we got Kane and the Undertaker versus DDP, and who better than Canyon in a steel cage match? And the winner, of course, was Undertaker and Kane. Ed, this is a zero star. This is the worst match in the card. This is terrible. Um, I mean, this was the best storyline leading up to it. The problem is, is that. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, Chris Canyon in his own right, you know, God rest his soul. And unfortunately, he committed suicide because he had a lot of problems. And he was he was gay. And so he had a lot of a lot of things. He was hiding that his whole career, that he was a homosexual. And so kudos to him for finally coming out. But at the same time, he was so depressed. Uh, that he did kill himself, uh, but he had a great career. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just unfortunate that, 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 you know, he took his own life. So with that being said, I don't know if it's a zero. I mean, you can't put The Undertaker in a match and call it a zero. You can't put DDP in a match and call it a zero. Those are two of the best wrestlers of all time. DDP, unfortunately, was a lot older Um by the time he got to SummerSlam, what was he in his forties? You know what I mean. He—I don't know exactly how old he was, but he got started really late. And he—this uh, was, a, you know, I mean, the storyline for DDP was just way off what he was. You know what I mean? DDP was a great character in WCW, and again, WWE didn't know what to do with him. 
because they couldn't give him his, his, his WCW storylines. You know, he was a great sort of half heel, half face, right? He, he just went a total heel. They turned him into a stalker. He stalked, he stalked the Undertaker's wife. And, of course, the Brothers of Destruction, Kane and Undertaker, come out with their Limp Bizkit theme songs. And no, not yet. Not yet. They it didn't was- have it yet? No. Uh, well, I just keep thinking. I think of them and, and, and roll it. I live this. But I, you know, I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know about a zero, but this match was designed for The Undertaker to eat DDP alive, and that's exactly what happened. If you watch, there are points in the match where Kane's just sort of sitting back in the turnbuckle just letting things happen. Exactly. Because, yeah, it wasn't a great match. It was probably one of the, the least enjoyable matches on the card. But I can't give anything with The Undertaker or DDP a zero. I mean, I, I call it like a one and a half to two star. Well, see, now this is where, this is probably the point of the episode where we're going to throw some fisticuffs here. Because you can give Undertaker and DDP a zero. It was this match. I mean, I mean, Vince McMahon, I don't love the fucking guy. I don't worship Vince McMahon. The guy's made a lot of mistakes. And point proven, mistake is DDP. I mean, go back and watch some of the old uh, Nitros and Thunder and also the pay-per-views from WCW. DDP was a babyface. He was a guy that wrestling fans liked. He was a guy that came out. People really didn't know who he was. He had a little bit of a gimmick. And eventually, he did some great things to win the fucking crowd over. Mm -hmm. And then when they get bought out and they get... DDP and Booker T, both guys were baby faces. I mean, DDP was not a heel when they got bought. He was beloved. He was in Starcade a year prior, going against Goldberg. The guy was good. And then this, and then Vince McMahon says, "All right, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna shave your head, and we're gonna have you stalk the Undertaker's wife." Like, really? Because at the time, I went back a little further in history, and there was a point in early 2001 when Undertaker changed The Undertaker and became, you know, Dead Man Inc. and all that shit. The Biker Taker, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he had his line, and his famous line was, I'm going to make you famous. And that's what started this whole storyline with DDP and Undertaker was, I want Undertaker to make me famous. Like, come on. This is bullshit. I mean, I mean, I mean, come on. Who wrote this shit? This is terrible. This sounds like a Vince Russo kind of kind of storyline. Maybe it wasn't, but it, it, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's terrible. And then you're going to have a guy like DDP and Canyon, which are good in their own right, go against the Brothers of Destruction in a steel cage match. I don't remember when any of DDP's moves or Canyon moves, even did anything on Jerry King. It was a squash match. It was, we're going to end these guys' careers because after this, they don't come back. They're done. And mm-hmm. what a fucking disappointment that was. I mean, DDP could have gone against The Rock. Could have gone against Triple H. Triple H versus DDP. That would have been great. I mean, the son yeah, of a bitch went against Goldberg, for God's sakes. 
No, I mean, I 100% agree that DDP was above this kind of match, but he, or excuse me, this storyline, but he had no choice. What was he going to do? They gave him something and he had to do it. It was his job. So, but that doesn't mean that he's not a good wrestler. And The Undertaker is one of the greatest of all time. Well, I'm not saying he wasn't. I never said that he was. I'm just saying you don't take a guy from another company who was a big baby face at the time. And then you go, and then after that, you completely change it. Like uh, my last argument to comparison would be uh, the wrestler from WCW when they got bought, but it was very popular. Was uh, was Saturn Perry Saturn? Oh no no no! He came over before. He, no. He, he, yes, Saturn, uh, Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, and Dean Malenko. They came over before they got bought. They Fine. came over. They, I don't remember what they came over as, but they came over as like the defectors or something. It was something they called themselves. Sure. Well, I don't remember, but they came over as a stable. You took a guy like Saturn, who was generally well-liked in WCW, and his character is he's in love with the mop, and he calls him Moppy? Come on. Well, okay. again, I don't, that, I don't remember exactly what that was about, but they, they, there was something that Perry Saturn refused to do. Right, like there was something that Vince wanted them to do, and Perry Saturn refused to do it. So by, and this is again, this is how Vince McMahon operates. Great businessman, has built an incredible billion-dollar worldwide company, but knows nothing about wrestling. He he took away a great character and ruined him by just to punish him, just to punish him for refusing to do something in the ring. I totally disagree with that statement, and that's because of the click. Because the person that Vince McMahon and everybody in the office blamed for the curtain call was Triple H. And after the curtain call happened, they did a Triple H, what they did to DDP, what they did to Perry Saturn, what they did to other characters. And Triple H still was able to rise above and fuck his daughter. So, I, I mean... Well, but you've got re- to remember, like, he was... Triple H was the ultimate... Yeah, it was, you know, Triple H was the ultimate kiss ass. And you can't take away Shawn Michaels because Shawn Michaels at the time, at the time of the, the curtain call thing, was the biggest draw the company had. So you can't take him out. Of, you can't punish him. They did punish Triple H. They turned him into, they had him have a pig shit fucking match with, what's his name? The fucking farmer dude. They had him, you know, they made him get, you know, Vince McMahon made him as punishment, get his face covered, an entire body covered in pig poop, pig manure, right? Live on air. But, and this is another case in point, like this is how Vince operates, right? It's just, this is how he does it. Everybody in the industry knows it. That's why there's so many videos and former employees saying how much of a piece of shit Vince McMahon is because he's so vengeful, right? I love Vince McMahon's, what he, McMahon, what he did with this company. I'm not saying I dislike Vince McMahon. All I'm saying is that there are a lot of professional wrestlers out there who, A, hate Vince McMahon for being such a vengeful prick, and B, Vince has put people in scenarios that they almost, if they weren't, like Triple H is different. Triple H is basically a wrestling phenomenon, and he was able to build him, to bring himself out of it. You know what I mean? It was it had nothing to do with, with 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 Vince. Triple H put on great matches and did what was needed he needed to do to play the game politically in the back. 
right. and then eventually he got the daughter his he got the ultimate fuck you back by marrying the boss's daughter and taking the company over and giving her two three kids and pregnant her so good right, for him. right yeah so like Vin, yeah. what's Vince gonna do Vince gonna let the his 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 son-in-law fucking be the guy who continuously has matches where he is thrown in pig poop no yeah but Vince McMahon would also Vince McMahon also also remember Vince McMahon punished Owen Hart for not for refusing to grab Goldust's junk on live television and turn him black back into the Bluebird whatever the hell his fucking thing was it ultimately killed him. You can't blame Vince McMahon for that. That's bullshit. I'm just saying that because because Owen Owen Hart refused to grab Goldberg Goldberg's penis on live television. Goldust Goldust. Oh, that's what I meant. Because Owen Hart refused to grab Goldust's penis on live television, Vince McMahon turned him back into that character, mm-hmm. and in that character, he had to come down from the rafters, and he ultimately died because of it. I'm not saying it's Vince McMahon's fault. I'm not saying Vince McMahon murdered him, but I'm saying that a result of a result of refusing an outrageous request by Vince McMahon, a result of a result of the chain of events. Ended in Owen Hart's death. All right. Well, I'm not going to continue on that trade. Let's talk about the seventh match on the card. The match which I feel should have been the main event. I do not agree with these two matches at the end, but it was Kurt Angle versus Stone Cold. Stone Cold was the WWF champion, and he was representing the Alliance. The winner ultimately was Stone Cold, and the rivalry between Kurt Angle and Stone Cold started in the Invasion pay-per-view in July, a month prior, when Stone Cold turned heel and now he was a part of WCW. His storyline was because he was pissed off because after WrestleMania 17, him and Vince McMahon shared a lot of hugs. He was Vince McMahon's boy. But he was pissed off that Kurt Angle started to get the hugs, and he was being groomed. Also, if you want to jump ahead, fans, at the end of this pay-per-view on Monday Night Raw, Kurt Angle did what Stone Cold did a few years prior, actually, and instead of a beer truck spraying everybody, he sprayed everybody with milk. Which was a very, which was a very funny moment. This mm-hmm. match was fun. I enjoyed the shit out of this match. This match was a four point five star. I mean, finisher after finisher after finisher, and they all got kicked out. and uh, And Jr. said it right. Uh, Stone Cold could not beat Kurt Angle if it wasn't for that fucking WCW referee that everybody hated. I forget his name. Well, and well, technically, Kurt Angle won the match. It because yeah. because uh, yeah, he didn't leave with the with the title because Stone Cold disqualified himself. That was a good match. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was it was it was it was a good match. It was a very good match. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of the you got to remember Kurt or Kurt Angle was on the upward swing of his career, and it's funny now going back and listening to to his theme song while he comes out and not hearing the "You Suck" chance. Yeah, it's like hilarious. like thinking, or or when Stone Cold's talking to somebody and they don't say what every ten seconds, the crowd doesn't scream what, what, what. You know, it's it's it's, it's funny. It's yeah, they're starting to they're starting to, but it's not quite there yet. But Stone Cold Steve Austin, you got to remember, is on, is at the end of his career. He's st- he's slowly starting. He does have more time. I'm not saying he doesn't have. He he, he put in a significant more amount of time, but. He's winding down towards the end of his career. Sure. Kurt Angle's on the way up. 
And I don't like the fact that Stone Cold's the bad guy, but it is what it is, blah, blah, blah. They needed a bad guy. They needed to have some, they needed to have some big name from the WWE turn to WCW. I think it's ironic that they made pick Stone Cold Steve Austin because Kurt, uh, because Paul Heyman created what is known as Stone Cold Steve Austin through his hatred of WCW, but that's neither here nor there. So Stone Cold, you know, he goes through this match. They, you know, they, and it's, it, again, it's a great match. Probably the best on the card. It ended up being that way. Um, I think I, I agree with you. I like this match better than the, the Rock Booker T match. Um, it just, the only thing is, is, is I, I don't, I just hate seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin as the bad guy because that I just don't see him. He just doesn't play a a very good heel the way like Hogan played a great heel. Like he was the greatest thing, the greatest face of all time. And then he turns bad. Like then he becomes a great heel. Right. I just don't see, I just Stone Cold never played a good heel. He didn't play a good one when he was, when he was, uh, what was it? Uh, Stunning Steve Austin. He didn't play a good heel when he had the million dollar title. It was only when he started to become like that heel that everybody loved that people liked him. You know, he, he just plays that guy better than he plays this guy. That's my biggest, that's my only gripe. But again, it has nothing to do with the match. Uh, the match was fantastic. Uh, I don't know that it's four and a half. Um, I would more lean towards the three and a half four. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not a great match. No, it was a great match. I actually really liked, and this is, shows my hand, I guess, a little bit of it. But I, I really like Kurt Angle's outfit. He never wore that outfit again. But he came out with the, uh, you know, he came out with his uh, blue his blue spandex, if you want to call it, but one side was like a chest plate and it was the American flag. The other side was this gold metal plate. It was really cool mm-hmm. to see. Uh, Kurt Angle bled in this match and it was finisher after finisher after finisher. Stone Cold took out three WWE referees before the WCW heel referee, which again, the name escapes me, comes out and says, you know what? Stone Cold, you lose, but because you have the championship, you have the champion advantage you still get the title and uh, Kurt Angle wins, but Stone Cold wins ultimately because Kurt, Kurt Angle is not get the title. However, though, this would have been Kurt Angle's second championship win. It would have been his first championship win was against the rock at no mercy uh, on October 22nd in 2000. And that was his first WWF title. But then Kurt Angle also defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin at unforgiven, which was next month's pay-per-view in September. And that was his second WWF title. So yeah, and you, they only had the WCW title for like two more pay per views. It was Unforgiven, and, and then whatever it was, they had one more, and then it became the Unified Champion. It, it, you know, it was it was just the World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what they called it. I know it wasn't the Undisputed. That's later on, but that it's 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 it was something. Or was no, it did become the Undisputed title. Eventually it did, but after this, it was the World Heavyweight Championship. Okay, okay. So, great match. Really liked it. I loved the Kurt Angle versus Stone Cold rivalry. I, I I really wish that continued even more. It was a fun rivalry, and they were both really good in the ring. They told a good story. Agreed. The main event of the night, though, 
the last card, uh, the last match on the card was Booker T and The Rock for the WCW World Heavyweight title. The Rock wins the WCW title. I give this one a three. Um, it wasn't great, but it was fun to see Booker T and The Rock go against each other. Uh, now, case in point, we talked about movies once already with Planet of the Apes, but we're talking movies again. After WrestleMania 17, The Rock went away. He did a Scorpion King movie. He comes back just in time for SummerSlam, and he does this famous line of when Booker T comes out, who in the blue hell are you? <laughs> and Booker T is becoming like DDP in a way. He becomes a stalker, but not really by completely copying The Rock. Instead, uh, you know, he uh, he calls himself the bookend. And, and uh, what was it? Uh, the book bottom or, or whatever. No, that was, that was it, the bookend. That was the movie, the bookend. The bookend, okay. You know, and all these fun stuff, you know, he was the most electrifying man, blah, blah. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was, it was fun to see the two go head to head. Uh, but ultimately seeing the rock lifting that WC title, that WCW title, uh, left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I feel Booker T should have won that match. Booker T definitely should have won that match because the rock doesn't need to be the WCW champion. No, but they were going to, the Alliance was going to keep the WWE title. So they had to give the WWF, the the WCW championship. Yeah. I mean, all the way. I mean, it was stupid that they did it that way, but that's just how it was designed. It is what it is. What do you give this match? See, here's the problem because, like, the match itself was more entertaining than the previous one. But my problem is, is like, Booker T, for all everything that he's accomplished in his career, it, to me, he's the quintessential WCW talent. He's just not that good, right? And The Rock really makes him. I That's why I can't give it like a four-star, and that's why it's kind of boring uh, in a way. But, I mean, I'd say three and a half. Three and a half stars because The Rock makes – The Rock wills other people in the in the ring, uh, you know, that to be that good, right? The Rock is just so good that everybody that he has a match with the match is automatically that much better. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I'd say three and a half. I wouldn't call it, you know, four star. It's definitely was, but it was more entertaining than the previous match. Just wasn't as good because Booker T's not as not as good as either Stone Cold or or Kurt Angle. Oh, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't got much to say about the main event because I would have rather Stone Cold and Kurt Angle. I thought they were bigger stars at the time. The Rock was a big Hollywood star came back from doing, you know, the Scorpion King or the Mummy Returns, I'm sorry. But still, though, at that time, it was Stone Cold and Kurt Angle. I thought they were the big ones. That's how it should have ended. This uh, is- I, agree, I agree, but the but the, because they knew they were going to end the match on a DQ, uh, the way they knew they were going to end it the way they did, they had to end it on, like, a high note for WWE. So that's just why it was switched that way. I, I, I will agree with you on that. Well, this is the part of our pay-per-view show where we give our overall pay-per-view star rating. And looking back at all the matches, looking through all the ratings with it, talking with you about it, I feel this pay-per-view deserves a 2.5. Uh, it wasn't great. Um, the Rock and Booker T match, like we said before, was fun, but it wasn't anything really great for SummerSlam. Um, 
but it's some good matches. You know, the Kurt Angle uh, Rhino match and also the RVD match with Jeff Hardy. You had some good matches, but you also had some stinkers. Um, I, 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 I remembered really loving this pay-per-view when it first came out because it was the first pay-per-view that I was a lot of watch uh, because of the money. But um, looking back at it now, wasn't as good as I remembered it. So, yeah, definitely a 2.5 star. Not that great. Ed, how about you? What do you give the SummerSlam 2001 pay-per-view? I 100% agree with the two and a half stars. Um, I, I mean, there's so many things like it could have, like it, there are so many things that could have been. And the problem was, is that they didn't get the guys that really would have made the invasion angle work until a year and a half later. And then in a year and a half, we get the return of the new world order. So that's really when the invasion angle actually sort of worked, even though it was no longer the invasion angle. Um, I agree with, I agree with that. The the matches here, the stories behind them were light, less a couple of things. Uh, Very, very, very light uh, in, in terms of like, I didn't care about really any of the stories going into this thing. Um, I, you know, I agree. I think some of the matches were great. The rest were like, it was boring. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, this, I mean, it's great to reminisce. I agree with the two and a half stars. It's great to reminisce. It's great to look back and it's great for us to sort of be able to look back with the knowledge and the understanding of where we are today and how we got to where this was. I just, you know, it's just one of those things that, like, it's a SummerSlam that doesn't live up to what SummerSlam should have been. I mean, we had Royal Rumbles that weren't as good as they could have been. We had WrestleManias that weren't as good as they could have been. And, you know, that just is what it is. It happens. But then again, at some at SummerSlam, you get so a lot of times you get blown away with some fantastic things that happen. And you get some blown away at WrestleMania. So it's like, it, it comes around. And, and then if you remember a couple of years later, there's some big things that happened at SummerSlam that like were huge events, you sure. know, like, you know, so you do get some great, they do redeem themselves in a couple of years, but yeah, I mean, overall, again, two and a half stars. And uh, I, I would just, I just wish the execution would have been what the hype was. I would agree with that. There was there was there was some hype with it, but not to the extent that I wanted. But this but this was a good way to I guess continue to tell this so called invasion storyline. But for everybody who's living out there listening out there in the movie guys verse, Ed and I want to say thank you. Uh, Ed and I talk about wrestling a lot. We talk about wrestling all the time. And finally, because of Movie Guys Podcast and the B-Roll Network, and because of you, the fans, out of Movie Guys First, we are able to actually put our thoughts and our discussions in audio form so you can listen to what we talk about on a daily basis behind closed doors anyway. So thank you, and I know Ed feels the same way. But if you want to check out just not calling in the ring, you want to, uh, you want to check out other episodes, check out MovieGuysPodcast.com. Also, check out movieguyspodcast.podbean.com. Find us on Twitter, uh, which is at movieguyspod. You can also find us on Facebook, Movie Guys Podcast, on iTunes, Movie Guys Podcast. 
And of course, just like always on iTunes, on uh, iHeartRadio, Movie Guys Podcast, and Spotify, Movie Guys Podcast. We're everywhere. So, but Ed, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of SummerSlam 2001 for Call It in the Ring. And stay tuned, fans, to our Twitter feed at Movie Guys Pod because we'll be announcing our next episode in the future and when that one will be released. So thank you so much, Ed. Everybody, have a good night.